Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post Politics Podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons, Paul War. And for the very first time, Martha Gill. Good to have you Yay. here, Martha. Let's hear it for Martha. This week, we'll be discussing who's up, who's down, who's in, who's out, who's still around in UK politics. And let's start with uh, David Cameron. Remember him? He was no. Prime Minister until like yesterday. Uh, this was his last PMQs where he finally decided to put some wicked rumours to bed about his relationship with a certain cat. And the rumour that somehow I don't love Larry. I do. And I have <laughs> photographic evidence to prove it. Um, <laughs> Sadly, I can't take Larry with me. He belongs to the house and the staff love him very much, as do I. Yeah. 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 Was, uh, that's politics for you, isn't it? Doesn't matter how much he loves a cat. Theresa May wasted no time in appointing her new cabinet. And the big surprise last night was Boris Johnson is now <laughs> UK <laughs> Foreign Secretary. And no sooner had he been announced, people started pointing out that he had some rather, let's say, rather unkind things about certain countries around the world. And he was asked by the BBC yesterday whether he'd be making some apologetic phone calls. Here's a clip. You've got a few people to apologise to, though, haven't you? President Obama, for example. Well, uh, as I say, the, the United States of America will be in the front of the queue. So let's start by talking about the new government, the new Prime Minister. A quick word about David Cameron. I thought it was quite good in PMQs yesterday. Paul, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was very impressive. It was Cameron at his best. You know, he's a consummate parliamentarian. He knows how to perform. He's perfected it, let's be honest. What I loved was the narrative arc between his first PMQs 11 years ago against Blair, ending on the same quote, bookending, with the idea that you were the future once and I was the future once. That was really clever. It was classic Cameron. It played into parliamentary tradition, history. It was witty, it was self-deprecating. But also what it didn't sort of, what most people do miss in that is how at his first PMQs, he was actually pretty ropey. Um, and, you know, he was nervous and although he got away with that soundbite and it worked on the day, his early performances against Blair weren't very good, but he learned on the job and he got much better and he proceeded to hammer Gordon Brown and obviously Ed Miliband got a taste of it and now Jeremy Corbyn too. I thought Jeremy Corbyn did quite well actually, Pim, despite everything. He did well. He started quoting back Theresa May's leadership speech, which he set out kind of what was wrong with the government and he was reading it back to Cameron and going, well, if she thinks this, well, you know, you think that... I thought Corbyn was good. Some people that I thought didn't play particularly well were the SNP. I mean, they didn't yeah. exactly get into the occasion, did they, Ned? No, but I think that's kind of to be expected, isn't it? I mean, I think the kind of the, the chummy nature of the last PMs, PMQs, where everyone sort of looked like they were on the same team applauding, that's not necessarily a great look. And if you're the SNP, that's entire reason for being is saying, look at this, look at Westminster, look yeah, how rubbish it is. for one day. Yeah, but why would, you, you know, why would you give that up? I think... You know, I tend to agree. Maybe what you know it looked a bit weird, but I think if for their audience, for the SNP, what they're trying to do, I think they did what probably they, they absolutely done. they were totally on brand by by not clapping and sitting down. And I thought it was absolutely perfect for them. I mean, it might look jarring to most people who are in the room who actually think actually just give them a break for one day, but no, for them it's all about not being in that chamber at all. Don't forget. Mm. So you know. 
for them, it's not a, a big deal, and it sent a strong message to their own electors. Martha, that was the first time you've been in a PMQ, a historic one to be in. What did you make of it? Well, yeah, it's it pretty exciting. But I, I, you know, I, I expect every PMQs to be that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> what was nice was seeing, and you wouldn't see this normally, is the PM's children up in the gallery, and that human touch of him Can't waving anymore, right at the end, where he waved at, uh, at Nancy and Chino and waved back. I thought that was very touching, actually. Um, and you were lucky to see that, Martha, actually, because it does not happen every week, believe me. So <laughs> Cameron, Cameron goes, these PMQs, applause, applause, applause. Downing Street, blah, 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 going, wonderful. Theresa May comes in, and straight away, the phone calls go. And the first person to arrive at Downing Street is Boris Johnson. And my initial thought was, she's going to offer him a rubbish job. Give him the option to turn it down first. And he comes out. And he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. He's representing us on the world stage. Is but what, what was fantastic about that was she's trolling journalists. And, you know, she's trolling the nation. You know, everybody expected, A, Boris's career either to be over because he didn't really want much beyond that, you know, disastrous leadership launch. And he thought, oh, let's go away with his tail between his legs. But more importantly... Um, we, did, we thought if he did get a job, as you say, it wouldn't really. It'd be possibly DCMS or that's what we that's what we called know, in our predictions that in we put your lovely prediction list. Yeah. Um, but rewrite people. Theresa May does have this wild side. You know, it's not just all about um, you know appearing in a in a trouser suit with some uh, amazing heels. It's not just about that stuff. It's more about actually she can do the sober stuff, but she can surprise people. And what so must be kind of the, the inner radical. The, a lot of the Brexit Tories must be absolutely loving the kind of reaction from European leaders from other places in the world, you know, to not only appoint a Brexiter to that job, but to be Boris and to see the kind of the shakings of head. I think there's that great video clip of a US State Department spokesman trying to hide yeah. a smile, a confused smile at it. And obviously and Angela Eagle's reaction as well, which was just <laughs> genius. I think the Gemmas were also laughing. But what's quite, what's quite good is that um, what plays quite well for her, actually, is uh, that it's sort of, it might just be a sort of a showman role and the real power might be mm. with the Brexit minister. So Boris's kind of unpredictability there is, is under control. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he, he's, he's not got a lot of power because obviously David Davis has a lot of negotiating power, so does Liam Fox. So, but ultimately, he will have to meet people. He will have to do the meeting and greeting. He'll have to do the stuff he's not normally done, which is build alliances and, and do some diplomacy, dare I say but it. people are going to want to meet him, right? This, yeah, this of course they will. This is quite a bit of genius. The Boris is a celebrity in the world of politics internationally. Yeah. So people are going to, people, you know, foreign Absolutely. foreign ministers and he are going to want to meet, more than they ever want to meet Philip Hammond. <laughs> no, Dad, tell us about the time you met Philip Hammond. <laughs> oh, do I have to? You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be... Or like... even Theresa May, dare I say it. I mean, she well, obviously... She's running the country pool, so Obviously, I'm not gonna Theresa May is going to be the most important driving force in any Brexit negotiation. Let's not forget that. For all that we talk about Boris, and we will talk about Boris and, and DD and Fox later, don't forget, she's the one who's going to be one-on-one eyeballing Angela Merkel, a, a kindred spirit. Can so. we talk about um, Fox? And, I mean, how Liam Fox, David Davis and Boris Johnson, given these three overlapping areas... It's all kind of happy now, but how long is that going to last? I mean, how are they going to work together? Not exactly... Well, they're all... F- you know... They're three sort of big fish in a not very big pond, and there is a lot of overlap there. Now, I know David Davis and Liam Fox started the referendum campaign. David Davis wasn't initially involved in Vote Leave, which was the official campaign group. He was involved in Grassroots Out. But the only reason he was speaking at Grassroots Out rallies initially was because he was told they weren't going for designation because he didn't want to be associated with the tribe. He wanted to be able to speak... For anyone, he saw himself very much as as his own man. Liam Fox 
fairly similar. He also spoke at grassroots out rallies, but again, at the time, he thought they weren't going for designation. Again, he wanted to, he didn't want to have to toe a line here. This shows they're quite independent. They've very much got their own views on they what are, Brexit have. is. I think it's interesting what it does for UKIP because the whole point of that being, with Theresa May being a, a Remainer, apparently, um, and she's becoming Prime Minister, it gave UKIP a great reason to go, oh, great, the establishment are stitching us up on Brexit. Yeah, but the guys she's got negotiating it are guys which you share platforms with. Yeah, they know, yeah. right? So you, and even Farage gave it a warm welcome. Like this is, you know, this is good. I'm pleased these guys are in. So you have got to decide now under whoever's the new leader. Maybe Stephen Wolfe declared today. Do we just attack the government for the sake of it, or do we actually give them a chance to give us their support to get us out of Europe? What's more important? The and age old question for UK. And with those Brexits, because we should mention as we're recording this, the reshuffle is still happening, and I think IDS is yet to emerge. So we don't even know what what he might end up with. Well, as is well. he in Downing Street? Yep. He was, sure. he was seen walking, he was up, seen Whitehall. walking up Whitehall. <laughs> so who knows? Was who he, knows? But was he invited? <laughs> <laughs> He's just hanging around. Just found, found well, it, worked, it worked for Damien Green, um, you know, who was walking up Whitehall this morning and didn't think he was going to Downing Street. But this afternoon he walked up Whitehall and he ended up with a job at DWP. Oh, I should just yeah. like walking around Whitehall. Yeah. <laughs> just be grabbed in. Martha, very quickly, you at Stephen Wolfe, as we mentioned, um, launched today to be UKIP leader to replace Farage. Very quickly, what did you make of it? Uh, well, he was he was very clearly going after Labour voters um, in quite a big way. He sort of I think the phrase was ruthlessly targeting Labour voters, um, which was interesting um, and, and would make sense um, given that that's Corbyn's uh, that Corbyn's weak spots are in the north and the middle. Corbyn's weak spots are Labour voters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but also he he's kind of he's he's a very different proposition from Farage. He's much more kind of sober, um, much more socialist actually. Literally. Uh, yeah. Literally, so by he didn't have a drink in his hand at the time, which was which was a departure um, from the usual UKIP uh, stuff. And uh, and and he was talking about his um, his heritage. He sort sort of got um, uh, African, Jewish, and Irish heritage, uh, and he sort of talked about that and and how he'd like to you know make immigration fairer. So it was, yeah, it was it was it was it was, a, it was a different kind of thing. Than, than I think that's interesting. Is his you know his own ethnic makeup is quite a, a shift for UKIP. If they are trying to broaden their, their appeal uh, as well as deepen it in the north, if they're trying to broaden it and say, look, we're not as scary as Farage, you know, I'm a, a product of immigration, um, but we want sensible immigration, it's quite a, a good, effective pitch. And obviously, he looks more of the part. He's got, you know, he, he doesn't look like a ranter. There are downsides to that in that you lose all the, all the Farage, you know, instant appeal you get with a lot of UKIP voters. Exactly, but what he's not going to do, he's not going to try and be a mini Farage. No. And that would be the worst thing, is to go in and try no. and ape him. He's going to be very much be his own man. Yeah. yeah, it's a kind of coming of age for UKIP, really, because they've kind Absolutely. of, they expanded so quickly and they kind of were seen as this unprofessional group who couldn't really control their supporters, who were sort of saying racist things. And now uh, he kind of has this idea of professionalising the party and kind of yeah. organising their funding streams. And I think I think that's and sort of expanding them away from those coastal towns. I think that's, that's a good move for them. It's quiz time. Oh, oh we love gr- the great. The thing about this love quiz is that this is a quiz I put online yesterday about Theresa May. So if you guys had all done it, you know the answers to this. The thing I is, <laughs> I have not, <laughs> I've not um, done it. I've not looked at your right, quiz. I hand on heart. Busy. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> writing some stories. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I was writing the quiz. <laughs> oh, my computer's about to go. Martha, you on. haven't seen this online, have you? No. Good. No, no, good. You should be reading each other's work. Right. <laughs> Let's call this quiz. Um, may the best man win. Did you just pop that? Woman win. You just so may the best woman win. May what? the fast be with you. Okay, but what, what what are the two options? There's no. It's a it's a trivia quiz, and it's oh. about how much do you know about okay. Theresa May. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. 
In which year did Theresa May tell the Tories they were viewed as the nasty party? Mm. 2002. I said that too quickly. That was Paul. I'm, I, I'm 2002. 2001, <laughs> 2002, 2002. Yeah. Right, Paul was right. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Theresa May failed to get elected in 1992 in North West Durham. Oh, yes. But which by-election seat did she also fail to win in 1994? That is great trivia. Thank I you very much. I don't know the answer Shall I give you the that, options? Owen? Yeah, yeah. Give us the options. options. Rotherham. Christchurch or Barking? Christchurch. Must be, because there weren't by-elections in... I think. Was there by-elections no. in Barking? I don't know, Paul. Well, I do Is know. <laughs> what I'm asking you, Martha. It can't be Christchurch, because we would have known that the Tories... She, was she the losing candidate to Lib Dems in Christchurch? Ooh, what, be... Martha, what do you reckon? Well, Professor War works it out. Today, Barking. It is Barking, you're right. Oh. Second to uh, Margaret Hodge. I wonder who died. Interesting. <laughs> 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 was it Valerie Wise? It was an old Labour type. Right. Anyway, anyway <laughs> Theresa May was first elected as an MP in 1997, of course, and was handed her first front bench role a year later. What was that role? Ooh. God. Was it shadow spokesman for schools, disabled people and women, shadow spokesman for universities and further education, or shadow spokesman for transport, local government and the regions? Weren't pithy titles, were they, yeah. back in the day? <laughs> I no. think... I'm gonna. Oh, I mean, I'm gonna guess the regions one. Right. I'm gonna go for the no. first one. Uh, yeah, me too. Because they always had sort of School spokesmen for yeah. women yeah. Yeah. to yeah. junior and he sends women. More junior. women. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was that one. Schools to save people and women. I don't know who thought that I'm we need to group schools and women in together. It's a weird sort of end. I suspect they just added it on, like they did with was it Liz Truss just now? She got education and women. Yeah, that's, women. that's true. No, it was greening, greening, greening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the future leader of which country introduced Theresa May to her husband at a student it disco? Was, Paul, I know this. you know the answer to this. I know this. It's, it's Benazir Bhutto, isn't it? Yeah, India. which country then? Pakistan. 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 India? Pakistan. 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 I'm not doing well at all. <laughs> Works by which of these classical... There's not many to go, by the way, listeners. Just, <laughs> we'll get this there. This is good. Works by which of these classical... Compo- oh, this doesn't make sense, this question. Works by which of these classical composers did Theresa May not pick when she was on Desert Island Disc in 2014? Okay. Give Mozart, Debussy, or Elgar. Which one did she not pick? Martha's got her head in her hands here. I mean, I know it's bad, Martha. This is week one. You really. <laughs> Mozart. I'm going to go for Debussy because that's uh, the least known one, so she'll probably. Right. You just no idea. I only know that she chose ABBA and yeah. Dancing Queen. Mozart. No, she didn't <sighs> choose Debussy, so Martha's right. Well done. <laughs> Do when was points? she born? <laughs> when was she born? October the 1st, 1956, November the 1st, 1958, December the 1st, 1955. It was October the 1st. But which year? Yeah, it was. October 1956, well done. Yeah. Making her the oldest person to become Prime Minister since 64-year-old James Callaghan in 1976. But not the most experienced. She's had, she had less experience than uh, a couple of... She has probably, the, I think it's the least experience for a new Prime Minister of her age. Mm. Oh. Uh, out you mean in terms of quiz. number of years I was thinking, I was thinking of doing a section called Martha's Musings and that might just be it. Maybe Martha just did the quiz. Yeah. <laughs> right, better. Theresa May studied geography at Oxford. But what degree classification did she get? First, second or third? Oh, God. First. No, no second. idea. Second. Yeah. And finally. <laughs> God. <laughs> the comments here. Oh, sorry. Which London <laughs> borough did Theresa May serve as councillor in from 1986 to 1994? Was it Lewisham, Merton, or Hounslow? Ooh. I've got everything wrong so far. Yeah, oh, that's because of Richard Work. Hounslow. I'm going to say <laughs> Merton because it's easier for Tories to get elected in Merton. I, he just, I love how he just doesn't guess. Martha? 
I mean, it's not. It's Merton because it's Paul's got it right. So. Do you know what? I think it's Merton. Yeah, well done, well done. Well done. <laughs> that was a sweet squid. Woo. Well done, Owen. Oh, I hate that quiz. It's almost worth it, isn't it? <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Anyway, so from from four people sitting in a room struggling to come up with the right answer to about thirty people sitting in a room struggling up to come up with the right answer. Yes, it was a Labour NEC meeting this week in which uh, they discussed uh, <laughs> what. <laughs> That's a link and a half. I like right, it. In which they discussed whether Jeremy Corbyn should be allowed on the ballot paper automatically uh, in any leadership contest. It got a little bit heated. And one of the first votes was whether or not there should actually be a secret ballot on the decision about whether to ballot Corbyn to get on the ballot, if you bear with me there. Um, some of the people there wanted there to be a secret ballot. One was uh, Johanna Baxter, who's an NEC member, and here is her... Uh, quite emotionally describing how she felt a little bit let down by Jeremy Corbyn. Certain groups, with, certain groups within uh, the party published my contact, my personal contact details online. Um, one of my colleagues uh, has just recently had um, a, a stalker sectioned. She was in tears. She begged the leader for a secret ballot um, to protect her and also other colleagues who had received um, intimidating and, and bullying behaviour. And the, the thing that really upset me about that meeting was that the Labour Party leader voted against the proposal to have a secret ballot to protect colleagues. Martha, you were outside the NEC while they were discussing all of this. And ultimately, we know now they decided to that Jeremy Corbyn would automatically be on the ballot paper. He wouldn't need to get nominations from MPs and MEPs. What was the atmosphere like when he came out having secured that victory? A lot of people waiting outside were Corbyn supporters, along with the journalists. So there was there was a lot of jubilation, a lot of cheering when he came out. Uh, and then he sort of he and Seamus sort of came out. Seamus Milne, who's his director of communications, yeah, yeah, and uh, and and he talked for a long time to one of his supporters who had who was extremely <laughs> drunk and had uh, very pink hair. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was a very positive atmosphere. But crucially, while he and Seamus were down there, sort of soaking up their, uh, the adulation of their supporters, upstairs, uh, the rest of the NEC were voting on something which will cr- be very crucial to his future, um, which is uh, the the membership freeze. So they then voted uh, to to um, to freeze membership uh, six months. Uh, backdated. So, so if you joined Labour um, since January, you'll vote. You won't be able to vote in the leadership election, uh, which a lot of people say it, it's going to be quite bad for Corbyn. Exactly. It's so all these people that joined because there was this this coup going on, mm. thinking they get a vote in the leadership. Now, don't get a vote. There's a lot of angry people who joined, and you know, they think it's a trade descriptions act thing. Um, you know, when you get your email back having paid your money, it says you will be entitled to lo- vote in Labour leadership elections. So they feel pretty rotten that actually having paid I think it's about 47 quid on top of that they're going to have to pay 25 quid and I the interesting question will be just whether or not that deters people on either side pro or anti-Corbyn into voting can and I joining get, can I get a little bit of clarity because I'm a little bit confused this 25 quid thing my understanding was, was and I'm probably wrong if you join as a three pound member before January the only way to get a vote was to pay the extra 25 quid no, right. this is a brand new process whereby um, you're only allowed registered supporter status during a leadership election. It's a brand new thing. Right. So you're only allowed it during last leadership election in 2015. And as soon as that election finished, your, your su- registered supporter status lapsed. That was it. You No more input in the Labour Party. If you wanted to get an input, you had to become a full member. So everyone instantly lapsed at the, at the point which Corbyn was elected. They've decided to trigger that again 
but instead of paying three quid, you've got to pay 25 quid. So it's open to everybody. You don't have to so register previously. Yeah, you just quid. have to pay 25 pounds. Now, will you be prepared to, Owen, of your fantastic salary? I'm, um, I mean, I'm not you really know. <laughs> the, but that's the really important question. A lot of the left think that they're quite so motivated about it that actually 25 quid it might sound a lot but it's not compared to losing their their jazz uh, whereas you know people who are sort of bit slightly uh, they may you might call them moderate who've got other things to do in life and aren't as passionate about the Labour Party but actually might think actually Corbyn isn't a very good leader they might be deterred by that pricing well yeah I'm interested in this but I'm not gonna pay 25 quid yeah, before that, before that came in, uh, you know, over the last uh, couple of months, there has been a lot of um, a, a lot of Tories joining as well to, for, so you know, for the for the good of the country. Sorry, not couple of, last couple of months, last couple of weeks. Sorry, uh, but uh, those are the kind of uh, people who who you'd think probably won't bother to pay the extra fee. They're not passionate Labour members. Uh, well, what was interesting about the NEC meeting? There was a long discussion during it. Um, and I did quite a long read on this. You've probably seen it online. Very, worth, there was very worth a read. There was a discussion on uh, during on the agenda when some members said, actually, uh, if you look at what happened in the last leadership election, there were lots of Tories and Lib Dems joining, infiltrating the party as three quid members and having a laugh. And the party's compliance unit and their, their, their various other bits of checking simply couldn't cope. They, they rooted out lots of Tories, but... Uh, what happened is lots of them still got through and some of the councillors in the meeting at the NEC this week were saying, look, we're still being taunted by Tories who say, yeah, 10 Tories in my house, we're all still members. Um, and that's, you know, and they all voted for Corbyn for wow. obvious reasons. Um, so that's a problem. Now, do you uh, uh, a JC for PM rally? Yeah. I believe. So Talk me through this. <laughs> Actually, before you do, yeah. let's have a little clip of uh, John McDonnell, shallow chancellor, um, at this rally and giving his view on uh, how the Labour MPs who want to call me out, how their plan went. They've been plotting and conniving. The only good thing about it, as plotters, they're fucking useless. <laughs> fucking useless was his thought. Yeah, you know, no. The fucking useless, Ned. Through, uh, <laughs> I thought we asterisked that <laughs> word. Okay, the, the fucking <laughs> use asterisk. Sorry. Excellent. Talk me through this this wonderful rally. Yeah. So as the NEC meeting was happening, there was this uh, rally up in Kentish Town, North London, kind of Corbyn area of the city. Hold on. There was a Corbyn rally in North London. Yeah. I'm shocked. Surprisingly, it's I'm surprising, shocked. surprisingly so. Um, and it started just as the result came in that Corbyn was on the ballot. And you heard that kind of ripple around the room. There was quite a few, about a few hundred people there. It was quite a big event. On the stage, you had Mark Sawatka, leader of the PwC Union. You had uh, some musicians and comedians, uh, two other uh, union leaders. At the end, Diane Abbott turned up. McDonald was there. Corbyn turned up, obviously. It's so it was, it was Glastonbury. Yeah, it was. It was. It went on for about f- almost four hours. Oh, wow. Um, and I was there for the entire thing, uh, getting involved. Not at all drinking, obviously not. Um, and it was you weren't even supposed to work that night. You just went because you love it. I love these things. They're great fun. Um, and yeah, so they were obviously very, very happy because they got the news through that he was on the ballot. So it was a big celebration. Mm. But what's interesting was this classic thing you have of Jeremy Corbyn saying, I don't do personal abuse. We all should be nice to each other. But throughout the evening, the, the kind of the words were used. We had McDonnell there. We had uh, Sawatka telling uh, Blair, fuck you. You had uh, other people saying, you know, Labour MPs who are opposed to Corbyn, who are launching this coup, should watch out. You know, another, I think, Sawatka again said, you know, get into the constituencies after we win this and, you know, uh, cause trouble for these MPs. So it, it was a rally of support for Corbyn, but also a, a warning to 
the moderates in the Labour Party that if we win this thing, we're, you know, we're not, we're not going to be nice to you. We're going to come after you, I think. It was a, a very, very interesting night. And those are the stakes, really. I mean, you know, it is the future of the Labour Party. You know, if Corbyn wins, there's no question that that's not the end of it. You know, Corbyn and his supporters want to radically reform the way the party works, make sure that, you know, it's the members rather than the MPs who get a say in future leadership contests. Deselection, we're already hearing just now that Unite are backing mandatory reselection for all MPs. That kind of stuff means that it's going to make the 1980s and Milton look like a picnic. Now, it's worth saying at this point that, you know, it's Corbyn supporters are not all on the far left. A lot of them are young people who are just sick of the way politics works. They're sick of, you know, the, the old faces, the special advisors at Westminster, you know, the Andy Burnham's, the Yvette Coopers. They're, <laughs> I didn't know you'd say Andy Burnham. They're, they're, they're sick of it, and they wanted someone fresh. And, you know, it's... And, and it's no one says fresh like John McDonnell. Yeah. It's and, and, well worth mentioning that, that there's a massive Corbyn appeal still, yeah, despite yeah. everything, yeah, he's got uh, an appeal. Talking about will these people be prepared to pay the money to join up, I mean, the people in that room... I mean, I'd say would be. They weren't just there casually. You know, they had wearing Jeremy Corbyn T-shirts you could buy for, you know, 10 quid, merchandise on mugs. You don't, you don't go to an event like that, uh, which is a music venue. I think the last time I was there was about 15 skipping school to go see Elbow, which is actually a bit depressing. Oh, oh um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I shouldn't have Man, mentioned you that. You set your rebellions like, really low. Yeah, I know, I know. Like, don't tell my dad I did going, that. Just I'm going to see Elbow. You step that mosh pit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel really old. Elbow? <laughs> school? <laughs> Should have stayed in. Like, before Right, let's not, you know. <laughs> Graham's not here. We'll cut this bit out. Well, it's fine. fine don't tell, very bad. Yeah, don't yeah. tell Dominic. Yeah, what my, I guess my point is, before I totally stitch myself up, was that these people, I think, will pay. And interesting, I wonder if they, if they can't pay, whether Momentum might find a way to pay well, for it's them. It's against the rules to do that. I mean, I've, I looked at the rules today, and oh, it, okay, it's, it's explicitly against the rules for any bit of the party to pay for or subsidise a, a membership drive. Um, so that will be legal, but I'm sure there'll be people in, in finding a way around that. Can I say one more thing about the rally? If you go on the Huffington Post and find the story I wrote about it, there's a good audio clip in there of the crowd all singing You Are the Wind Beneath My Wings about Jeremy Corbyn, which is definitely worth it. And I repeat, this is not a cult. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's the end of comments before this week. Martha, what do you reckon? It was all right. <laughs> to be fair, that's pretty much the best praise you've ever had. Yeah, this this I, before, with, I don't want to mention Graham too much because he's gone to America now, but getting him to not look at his phone was an achievement, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, we've been, done we, it. We haven't what about, have we got a stat of the week? No, okay. we haven't got a stat of the week because oh. Graham's gone. We're going to do Martha's Musings from next week. Martha's Musings? Yeah. Oh. I'll just go work out what that means. Yeah, but I think the headline first. I haven't first agreed and then to this. No, agree to this, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's been such an historic week. We didn't get to talk about Andrew Ledson. We didn't get to talk about um, really who was in the shadow, who was in the cabinet. Sorry, what Corbyn's going to do with the shadow cabinet. So um, sorry about that, but that's life. We're going to leave you now with a clip of uh, David Cameron's last appearance in PMQs. Indeed, the last time he addresses the House of Commons as Prime Minister and is his final words. So thank you, and we'll see you next week. The last thing I'd say is that you can achieve a lot of things in politics. You can get a lot of things done. And that, in the end, the public service, the national interest, that is what it's all about. Nothing is really impossible if you put your mind to it. After all, as I once said, I was the future once. (laughs) 